You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good afternoon. Hey, guys. It sounded like you just said co-host, Jen Wilkin. I was like, did I just get cut from the podcast right there? You said co-host. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, she's my... Uh, Jen, I, yeah, I always say it real fast because technically, legally, Jen is the only other co-host <laughs> on the show. You've just been a featured guest for 154 <laughs> episodes now. I'm really grateful to, to be a part of this thing, guys. Thanks for continuing to invite me. Is this one of those things like the office where like this is just going to work itself out over time like i just stopped yeah. getting the invitation yeah yeah and it's also yeah, going to be much. like the office and that the further you go into the season arc the worse it gets <laughs> <laughs> wow okay uh, I, I see how today's gonna go i'm ready i didn't come ready but now i'm ready i mean Arm, we are armor our, is up i just we I are just, in our post we're in our post office life now you know office made it eight seasons we're in season nine so okay. we're heading to like friends territory. I mean, maybe one day it's ER territory. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but today um, we are talking about the infinitude of God, which sounds like something from Toy Story. I was thinking infinity and beyond all week long. To infinitude long. and beyond. To mm-hmm. infinitude and beyond as we were, as I was prepping for this episode. Toy Story is one of my first, I know that you guys are both um older than me, uh, more seasoned than me in life. Uh, but Toy Story is one of- You know by looking at us. <laughs> it's one of the first movies that I can remember like being like, wow, how did they make this movie? Did you see to- Toy Story in theaters, JT? I don't remember if I saw it in theaters. I think I waited till it came out. Okay. I and I'm, I've never th- been a big Toy Story person. My son though, man, he could watch Toy Story. I mean, he just, he loves it. It holds up. Yeah, it's a good, it's, it's fun. You, well, you, you don't really – wow, you're kind of just shrugging off Toy Story. It's kind of like a like a genre-defining <laughs> film. I think that we need to make sure that makes – like, you know, we do those quotes of a podcast. Uh-huh. We need to make yeah. sure we're quoting you as Toy Story as a genre-defining film. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, right? Did you, did you yeah. let the kids watch Toy Story? It was the very first full-length feature film that I took a child to. Look, there's a, that's a core memory right there. Mm-hmm. Which child? At the theater. Which, it was Matt Wilkin. Shout out to Matt. He was a little guy. Yeah, he brought his blankie with him. And I remember they showed a preview for a dinosaur movie, and he flipped out. He totally freaked out. And so then I'm like, okay, well, we'll see if Toy Story lands or not. And it did. Okay, well, there you go. That's uh, delightful. Well, shout out to Matt Wilkin. Uh, is he still afraid of dinosaurs? Uh, you know what? I'll have to check back in with him on that and let you know. Yeah, let me Don't know. Don't think so. He let hasn't. Me. I mean, when we're around them, he doesn't seem to be. So. Okay. When you're. <laughs> wait yeah. a second. When you're. Okay. <laughs> okay, that got me. Uh, all right, we are not talking about Matt Wilkins' fears, nor are we talking about Toy Story. We are talking about uh, the infinitude of God and the incomprehensibility of God. These are two things that are tied together. The last couple of episodes. Well, we were talking about the attributes of God broadly. So let's just start there, just as kind of a refresh for us. What do we mean by the attributes of God? What what are the when we say that phrase? What are we talking about? It's what what is true about God? They're His characteristics. Okay. Would you say that, JT? Yeah. What what is so like Trinity? I think is like asking and answering the question, "Who is God?" And attributes is kind of asking the question. What is God like? Uh, who, who, what are his characteristics? I, I think is a good way, Jen, to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we distinguish between incommunicable and communicable attributes, with the incommunicable attributes being those attributes that we do not share as image bearers of God and that are unique to God's uh, being, nature, and character. Um, those are the incommunicable, meaning they, mm-hmm. they are not communicated to creatures or creaturely things, even image bearers as the crown jewel distinct in creation. Whereas the communicable attributes are those attributes with which we share uh, in kind, but not in degree. Meaning That's right. we share in, like God is love. We can share in the loving attribute that is God uh, by virtue of we can extend love and show love as well, but we'll never possess it to the degree to which God is it or possesses it. So yeah, incommunicable, communicable attributes of God. Yeah. And so actually what we're going to talk about today is the key defining difference between an incommunicable attribute and a communicable attribute um, in many ways. Because um, when you talk about being created in God's image to reflect what is true about Him, you're talking about His communicable attributes. Um, The things that even though we are in limited human form, we can still um, put on display to the world around us that are true about God. Um, We're going to talk about God being infinite, and that Mm -hmm. means that He's unlimited. That means that everything that we'll talk about today that is unlimitedly true about God is what makes Him distinct from His creatures. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and that they are in, that his unlimited uh, exercise or expression of these attributes is what sets him apart. So, like, God is unlimited in his love, and we can be loving, but not in an unlimited way. Um, but the, the incommunicable attributes are a little bit different because they rely on his not being bound for mm-hmm. us to understand their expression. Yeah, that and that's probably not very clear, but we can develop that as we go along, right? Well, yeah, and let's do it. What do we mean when we say God is infinite? When we say God is infinite, let's just start popcorning it. What do we mean when we say that? Yeah, I think the first concept that comes to people's mind, and probably rightly so, is God's relationship to time. Like, how, how does God interact with time? And not to get too philosophical, in a sense, we're saying the Bible tells us that God never begins and never ends. He has no beginning, he has no end. Other biblical terminology would be that he is the alpha and that he is the omega. So if you're looking at the span of time, it's almost like you need to look above it and say, God isn't in it. He is above it and outside of it in his incommunicable attributes, specifically in his infinity. So he is endless without beginning and without end. It's not just that he's endless, that he's not going to end in the future. He's also endless in the sense that he never began at the beginning. He is He is God in himself, infinite, without beginning and without end. So JT is actually honing in on an aspect of his of his infinitude. Really, probably the most basic definition I would give is God is unbound. Mm-hmm. And so what you've just heard from JT is God is unbound by time. Um, and then when we talk about God being um, omnipotent, we mean that God's power is unbound. When we talk about God being omniscient, we mean that God's knowledge is unbound and so on and so forth. And so... The, the simplest way I have found to think about infinitude is there's no bounds on him. When we talk about him being spirit, it means he's not bound by a body the way that we are. A body is a set of limits. So any limit that you and I understand to be a part of our lives, and there are many, uh, and they are by design, um, would be something that makes us not like God in a way that we will always be not like God into into eternity. You know, even um, when we've been there 10,000 years, we will still be limited and he will be unlimited. He will always, he has always been and will always be God unbound. 
Yeah. One of the passages that I go to whenever I'm trying to help people just get a working definition, because when we think about infinitude, it it's kind of category breaking for us because our entire experience of the world is not uh, through – uh, being unbound. We are bound in more ways than we would be pre- mm-hmm. prepared, willing, or ready to acknowledge, even when we attempt to try to pretend that that's not the case. So it's mm-hmm. hard for people to conceive of infinitude because it's not their experience. I'll take them to Acts 17 in Paul's address at the Oropagus, uh in verse 24. Uh, I'll just read Acts 17, 24 through 28, because I think it's helpful. Um, Mm because the listener might be going, infinite, God is infinite, and he's incomprehensible. Like, okay, but where is that in the Bible? Well, here's a passage you could go to that I think would help you get the juices going. It says in Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should see Mm -hmm. God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being." Um, that's really helpful because Paul juxtaposes with a very philosophically inclined audience at the Oropagus. He juxtaposes God does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served, but for his creatures, he has determined allotted periods mm-hmm. and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So in just those four verses, you get this contrast between God is unbound and the constraints of both time uh, and uh, place and mm-hmm. creatures are bound, having allotted mm-hmm. periods and boundaries. And I think that's a really good four verse place to go. Acts seventeen twenty four through twenty eight. When you're just trying to just get the just get the nuts and bolts of what it means to say that God is infinite. That's yeah. And I think what you what you probably are not going to find is a nice clean verse that only addresses him being unlimited. What mm-hmm. you're going to find is the idea implied in a thousand other places. So like uh, in Psalm 139, how precious to me are your thoughts. Oh Lord, how vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. That's an example of, you know, we're trying to get to this idea of it's too much. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, or, or when uh, earlier in the Psalm, when David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is lofty. I cannot Attain it. In other words, he's he's out. He is he is unbound in every aspect of his character, mm-hmm. and that's a that's something to worship. And if you think about it, I mean, I, th- I think an important detail for us to remember is um, that we are limited by design. Like we're not limited because of the fall. We didn't become limited after the fall. We were created to be limited, and so this this creator creature distinction. Rely our understanding of it relies heavily on on that idea that um, that this is actually that we are not limited like in how long we can stay awake because of sin, although that impacts you know some aspects of that. But that we're limited in how long we can stay awake because the Lord God made us that way, um, and so that means that if I say mm, I would like to feel unlimited in some aspect of my life then what I am saying is I will ascend to heavens. I will be like the most high God. 
So it's an important distinction because it helps us to stay rightly oriented to the world around us, which we were created to inhabit as limited creatures. Yeah, I agree with that. One of the things that I was, I was of course, reading Bobink in preparation for this. I mean, what was your read? Uh, and, and the well, Bible, right, but, the psalmist. Well, okay, <laughs> speaking of the psalmist, the psalm I would go to is Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought yeah. forth, or ever you'd formed the earth mm-hmm. and the world mm-hmm. from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's good. Mm-hmm. But it's important that we talk about his eternality or infinitude not in terms of like deism. I think that's what, what some people can go to is like, okay, if he's unbound, that means he's in com- completely outside of it and never enters mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. And the way that Bobbing mm-hmm. talks about eternality is he says he transcends time, yet penetrates every moment of time with his eternity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that remain, keeps him unbound. So we have to remember God's uh, immutability. God is unchanging. He's outside mm-hmm. of time, but yet he isn't the kind of God that's outside of it like – like a, a deistic kind of watchmaker that sets the clock and then just leaves yep. it to kind of see what's going to happen with his creation. Even in his uh, infinity or eternality, in, in his transcendence, he enters into the boundedness of time to be with his creatures. And that in no way infringes upon his uh, infinitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is really crucial what you're saying there. I just want to note if you're listening to that and you're going, but how? Yes, that is the right response, that Mm -hmm. there's a mystery there (laughs) and that God is gracious enough to condescend in ways that are imminent, meaning near to us, just like Paul says in Acts Mm -hmm. 17, that yet he is actually not far from each one of us. He moves towards us in grace um, and he does that principally through revelation. Revelation mm-hmm. is the divine accommodation of the infinite God to the finite understanding of his mm-hmm. creatures. And revelation is one of the principal categories that we should understand in God's self-disclosure. God, um, if God were to reveal himself um, using only the language of infinitude, we could not comprehend God in any way. Mm-hmm. He does not merely reveal himself in the language of infinitude. He reveals himself in language that is intelligible to us, which leaves us still searching by faith for what it means to say that he is infinite. He he mm-hmm. tells us in a way that is intelligible to finite beings that he is not finite. But he does not give us the the measure of who he is. Right. And so I think that's an important thing for us to remember. Like, I actually think that one of the primary functions of natural revelation is to give us a sense of the infinitude of, of the vastness of God. And so, you know, when you look up at the night sky or when you stand at the ocean and you can't see its boundaries, or uh, even if you stare at the Grand Canyon, like all of those moments where you begin to realize, oh, this is way bigger than I am in a way mm-hmm. that I can't quantify and how that makes you feel, God is that to an infinite degree. And so then you think about like, uh, well, let's have a little pop quiz. You guys ready? No. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. JT. I'm not. I'm not. I J- said no. I don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, how long were you at the dentist before I got on this call? Too long. It was like 70 minutes. It was over an hour. Okay. And Kyle, um, what's the speed limit on the street in front of your house? He didn't know. Uh, what? <laughs> 32. Okay, that's, 32. No way that's um, real. 
So I won't I won't ask you if you weighed yourself this morning and what the scale said, you Please. know, but like or or if you know how many um, you know carbs were in what you had for breakfast, uh, but but or how much gas is in your gas tank right now. But everything that we um, are in charge of or have responsibility for, um, we measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that impacts us. We're always looking for taking the measure yeah. of, of something. Um, we love measurement, and um, and it gives us a sense of control, like that which I can measure, I can to some degree control. And so um, we're always looking for those kinds of things. And in fact, we even have a saying, um, when we meet someone, we measure them up. We take the measure of a person. And the God of the universe defies measurement. There is no measuring rod for him. And so when you think about his infinitude, that's what we're talking about. Anything that has boundaries can be measured, can be quantified. Uh, the thoughts of God, the, the, the things that are true about God outnumber the grains of the sand. But for you and me, we're, we're able to be completely quantified, uh, especially by God. Yeah, and and that means that we are subject to control in a way that he is not. Yeah, and that's actually too. Um, uh, that's really good because it also is one of the reasons why we cannot look at the deliverances of science um, for proofs for the existence of God, or at least incontestable proofs for the existence of God. Um, God's infinitude. Um, it does not negate the veracity of many things that demonstrate that the world is created by something outside of it. But it, the, uh, the measurements of man cannot be used as incontrovertible witness to the existence of God because of God's infinitude. He escapes the bounds that we would try to set for him in any measuring stick that we might lay at him, uh, no matter how uh, effective it is in determining what claims to be true, good, or beautiful apart from his existence, will not function meaningfully as mm-hmm. a measuring stick for him. He exceeds mm-hmm. those bounds. And I think that is a reason, another reason why uh, the idea that, that, that oh, well, you know, I, I don't believe in God, I believe in science is such a false binary because the dictates of science are meant, they're not meant to answer those questions that pre-exist. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com.
First Corinthians two ten uh, is another passage that comes to mind when we think about the infinitude of God. And I want us to kind of start moving towards not only his infinitude, but the question of his incomprehensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about, I think about Paul in Romans 11, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, right? The answer to that is is supposed to be just worship and mystery because no one knows the unsearchable judgments of God. But in 1 Corinthians 2.10, we hear, uh, I'll start in verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And it goes on here to say, not that, well, we could not possibly know God. He goes on here to say, any knowledge that we have of God, we will be revealed by the Spirit of God. Uh, and it's a good reminder for us that God's infinitude uh, leads us to a place where we can't have accurate knowledge of him because of his graciousness and revelation, but we cannot have exhaustive knowledge of him. Complete, that's right. Right, right. We, we can know him truly, but we can't know all of him entirely. And that's not just right. like a here on earth problem, you know, like you were that's saying That's a forever earlier. problem. That's a forever issue where there's never going to be But it's not time. a problem. Right. Well, why yeah. is it not a problem? Let's ask that because somebody might go, well, what, what if there's a hidden part of God that I don't know about and it's actually the worst part? Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Because in limited humans post-fall, you know, when you, the things that you don't know about people can be scary, right? And sometimes have proven to be scary. You know, you, learn, you, you have a trusting relationship and then you realize that the relationship couldn't bear your trust. And that's why, you know, in any in any... A discussion of what's true about God, and I would say even in any discussion of the Bible, that's why we keep saying it's so important that we our our underlying assumption is that God is good, right? That that's what is clearly attested to in the scriptures, and that's what we cling to in the times where our circumstances or uh, whatever are telling us that it's not true. Um, but that's our underlying assumption, and so if God is um, is is infinitely good then that means that anything that we don't know about him is good. Mm-hmm. There, in, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. That means that whatever we don't yet know about, there are no skeletons in God's closet. Mm-hmm. So that means like if you think about when you've been in a human relationship and every new thing you learn about the person makes you more excited to know them, that's what our relationship with the Lord will be like for all eternity. I always had a hard time uh, thinking about the incomprehensibility of God when I first started learning systematic theology because you you hear in systematic theology or even I mean think about J- Jesus in John chapter seventeen verse three this is eternal life that you know mm-hmm. God and the yeah. one whom He has sent that that's yeah. gnosis or, or knowledge that the whole point of revelation is that we would know God the point of of uh, of and we've talked about this of general revelation and creation of special revelation in Christ. And of special revelation in Scripture is that we would know God, and so I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the very point of the Bible or any revelation is that we would know who God is, not just that we would know how to live, 
that's a derivative. Ethics is a derivative of theology that we would know him. So incomprehensibility of God, if you're listening to this, can sound a little bit like, wait a second. I thought the whole point of knowing faith wasn't that we – is this, this podcast is not incomprehensible faith. This podcast <laughs> isn't we can't know faith, uh, right? This podcast is knowing faith. And so it's really important uh, the distinction that Jen and Kyle are making is we in, the incomprehensibility of God does not suggest God can't be known. It suggests right. God can't be known fully in his essence right. or in his absoluteness. Not that he can't be known truly. It's just that he can't be known exhaustively. That's right. And there's actually been a really interesting theological tradition. I don't even want to say it's a tradition, although it probably is. I want to say there's been a move that theologians throughout the history of the church have made, uh, particularly pronounced in the Orthodox Church, but you can find it throughout the history of the church, called apophatic theology. But, but Orthodox, Kyle, means Eastern Orthodox. Yes, thank you. It is Orthodox. I'm but- sorry. Can you spell that? Yeah, I can. Actually, I have it right here on this screen. Let me look at it. Oh, you need a screen for this stuff? By sheer coincidence. A-P-O-P-H-A-T-I-C. Apophatic. 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 Now, it's sometimes called negative theology. The basic idea of negative theology is that we cannot in language or in knowledge know or rightly articulate the perfect goodness of the nature and character of God. And so a more adequate solution than to use words that fail in describing who and what God is is mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. only use words that describe what he is not. He's not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the I'll tell you, this has been a tradition that has been widely exploited throughout the history of the church, uh, most of the time the progenitors of apophatic theology or negative theology did not intend for it to be abused in the way that it typically is. But people will say, well, uh, you know, we can't really say that God is anything without mischaracterizing who he is because we can't fully capture it. That's really not what some of the source bearers of apophatic theology were attempting to do. They were merely trying to address what is the very real experience of human limitations and the language, uh, the limitations of language, and perfectly capture. It was meant to be kind of a intellectual humility in the approach mm-hmm. of God, not an excuse to not approach God. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a there is kind of a school or a motif or a vibe uh, for my Gen Z audience members out there. You don't I have any Gen you. Z audience members, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it, it's a vibe. If you did, they've left. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or they it's just like, did. Yeah. yeah, or they just did. Yeah. They, it's like, Bye, hello, young, yeah. hello, young people. We hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I am not an arc, uh, uh, but it is is uh, it's been a kind of a school of thought that is trying, at least in its most faithful representations, to just acknowledge the limits we have on perfectly capturing God. But that being said, we can have true knowledge of God. God reveals himself to us, and he is very gracious in doing so. So he is c- comprehensible. He's just not fully comprehensible. Fully comprehensible. And, and I think if we, when we recognize that to better comprehend him is for our good, like that that is life, then rather than go, wow, he's too big to understand, I will just feel instead of think, mm-hmm. or whatever your response is to that, um, becomes 
it's unthinkable. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have 70 or 80 years and I want to use as much of them as I can to get as much of the knowledge of God into my apprehension as I can, because that's what I'm created for. For one thing, I'm created to know Him. Um, and there's joy in knowing Him. Uh, on, on further acquaintance, He only gets better and better. And so this is why I sometimes get so frustrated with people who are looking for fresh new inspiration from the Lord. I'm like, did you run out? Like he's infinite. <laughs> like the stuff that's in there is enough to keep you busy uh, in this life and beyond. Like I'm saying, just what's in the scriptures, you're not gonna master the knowledge of God as it's given to you within the covers of your Bible during this lifetime. I don't think I will, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and and yet you're looking for something to add to that. Um, and yet we have the joy of knowing that whatever we don't, learn this side of um, the next life. We have uh, unlimited time uh, to do so um, once we are in his presence. That's really good, Jen. And and that's where I think it's important based upon, again, I feel like I'm trying to, uh, you guys are making such good points. I want to spend like 10 minutes on each one of them. Uh, we can't do that though. But that's where Christian theology, I think is helpful is, is on the one hand, you have an, a, a, a philosophical view that we might call Gnosticism, which again is that G-N-O language that uh, Gnostic that Jesus even uses in John chapter 17, verse 3, that eternal life is to know God. But in the early centuries, you have a Gnosticism that develops in the early church. Well, eventually it's outside. It's not ultimately the church. It's outside the church that the church has to combat that says there can be a special knowledge of God given specifically to spiritual people, not fleshly people. Flesh is bad, spirit good, and knowledge of God is good. And that's what Jen's talking about is this kind of special revelation that is only available to a select few. But on the other side of that, and Christianity repudiates that, but that doesn't lead to agnosticism or no knowledge of God. And that's kind of, if we're talking about two ditches here, Christian theology is trying to maintain this healthy balance between God cannot be only knowable, that's Gnosticism, and God is also not unknowable, or that we have no knowledge of God, that's agnosticism. It's that we can know him, but we can't know him fully. And one of the things, and Kyle, maybe you don't want to go here. If so, let's just you can cut me off here, but even when we talk about not being able to know God fully but truly, even in our true knowledge of him, we have an analogical knowledge of him. We have we have the kind of knowledge that is proper to creatures, not the kind of knowledge that is proper to God himself from like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which is what we were just talking about, which means any language that we use is language that we're still kind of grappling for, but yet God in his grace and condescension, uh, Calvin talks about, he condescends. He comes down to his people the same way a, a, a nurse kind of condescends to a baby to speak in its language, not the language of a nurse. Mm-hmm. So Calvin even talks yeah. about God kind of cooing to us. He he kind of he gives us baby talk, so to speak, which can sound a little silly. But when you th- when you think about we're talking about infinitude, that's exactly what God has to do. Mm-hmm. He is the infinite, unbound one, but yet binds himself by using. Binds himself is probably too strong of language there, but uses human terminology in order to make himself known. Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And not just human terminology, but human symbols. Right. Like, mm-hmm. why why does God dwell in a tabernacle, a mobile tent, with the people on their way to the promised land? Because they're all living in tents. Mm-hmm. Once they start to build permanent homes, what does God say? 
build me a permanent place. Why? Because mm-hmm. everyone else is living in a permanent place. You mm-hmm. see this throughout Scripture when when the the Word of God becomes enfleshed in the incarnation. His human body is a human body. It's not like some sort of light. You know, it's not like this magnetic light emitting from it. You know, uh, contrary to pictures that you would see in old school situations or kind of uh, I'm thinking like you know Renaissance paintings. There's not like an aura around Jesus all time. When he's walking around, there's not a halo over his head. He 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 just was he looked like a person because he's speaking in a way that's intelligible to his audience, even though he is infinite and not mm-hmm. fully comprehensible. It's good. Well, and not only that, but like, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but the way that the Bible uses language is, you know, you can't, you can't, you cannot communicate in human speech everything that's true of a limitless God. But you, you know, then you can say, well, then let's just it's not even try. I mean, everything we're going to say is not going to do justice to who he is. But that's why we cling so tightly to the words of Scripture, because those words are certainly the 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 human words that will describe God the way that God intends to be described. My words, you know, I might get close, um, but those words are where we're going to look. Um, if we, that's why you're always going back and trying to say, but. But, but what does the scripture say? That's the, that's the importance of it because it's going to be the, the best uh, word choice that you're going to find anywhere to tell you what's true about the Lord. But those words have a limited number to them. There are only so many words in the Bible. Um, and so, and then we have a limited ability to understand them. So, um, but that's why eternity is so great. Plenty of time. And I, I think probably a growing aptitude to be able to understand the things of God. I love that. Let's hope so. Um, let me ask you a question. Why is, it, why is it good news that God is infinite and incomprehensible? Yeah, I think it's good news because it rightly orients us as creatures. I think that I think that's the realization that you see dawn on people when they see God revealed and they fall to their faces. And so that's why I think we are slow to make meditation on these particular truths about God, because we know the impact it will have on us, and we don't always welcome that impact. If we're um, if we're unconsciously or consciously committed to viewing ourselves as unbound, then it will we will not walk toward anything that corrects that assumption. So, like if I think that my phone is a source of omniscience for me, then I really don't want to meditate on the omniscience of God because it will point out to me that I'm actually striving to be something uh, that I'm not designed to be. And if I don't want that conviction, then I'm probably not going to um, submit myself to that idea of God uh, or look for it in the scriptures. And so it's fascinating to me, you know, because the other thing that our our limitedness implies uh, if not stating outrightly, is that we will have needs associated with our limits, and those needs are supposed to push us to relationship with God and to others. And so, if I if I have um, taken in a heavy dose of individualism, well, I don't want to think about an infinite God because an infinite God shows me that I am finite, and therefore my individualism is a sinful way to look at the world. So that's why I'm saying it's just it's 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 a very reorienting idea. But it's one that you really have to spend some time meditating on for it to begin to hit your heart. Hmm. I mean, I was thinking of, you think about meditating on it in a way that it allows it to hit your heart. I think one of the most 
uh, significant meditations for me on the infinitude and incomprehensibility of God is from St. Patrick. And you've probably heard this before. It's off quoted. Sometimes you'll hear it in liturgies. But whenever I'm trying to meditate on this, on the reality that God is limitless, he's unbound and he's incomprehensible, this is what I end up going to outside of scripture is Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the uh, mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. This idea of the infinitude of God in his presence um, is a reminder to me that when we enter into the world, we enter into it in a way in which um, God is inviting us to seek him and to seek him with with hearts of wonder of Mm -hmm. where we might find him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, I love that. And that and just the reminder of the invitation to wonder – is the beginning of praise. Uh, Mary Oliver, the poet, right? Uh, uh, that uh, attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm. And the incomprehensibility of God, when rightly understood, does not lead us um, to a spiritual inattentiveness or a spiritual resignation, but to an attentiveness that we can always find more. We can always mm. see more. We can always mm-hmm. learn more. We can always discover mm-hmm. more of the inexhaustible and unsearchable judgments of God and his word and his works. And I love that. I love that. I love this doctrine. I know we're landing the plane, but I have another one. Okay. I think that we, not only do we seek to be unbound, but we begin to think low thoughts of God when we consider him to be bound. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often sort of like a low level, like I haven't explicitly said that. But so, for example, when I say, uh, I'm just going to commit this sin because no one will know. Mm-hmm. You're saying God is bound; His knowledge is bound. Uh, or if you say, "Oh, there's no one here to see," you know, you're limiting God. You're saying God does not see. Or um, when you think um, your past defines you and nothing can change it, uh, the way it's impacting you today, you're indicating you believe God is bound by time. And so, you know, you can just start ticking them off, and you begin to realize that low thoughts of God almost always involve. Um, a limit to what you believe he uh, is able to do or see or where he's able to be. And um, and then when you realize, oh my gosh, he's everywhere or he exists past, present, and future, it, it, it changes the way. It changes the way you pray, right? Like it means that um, you no longer go to God trying to convince him um, with facts that maybe he didn't know because you realize that he's not limited in facts. You know, there are all kinds of practical implications for this. But actually, I think we'll get to discuss those as we go through each of the incommunicable attributes. So I'm not going to do any more right now also because Kyle's probably like, stop talking, we're out of time. Well, I'm going to say one thing limited. too. I'm going, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah, do yeah, it. Because again, that's so good. I agree with everything you guys are saying. And it, I'm just trying to simplify this maybe for our listeners a little bit and even simplify it in my own heart and mind. The recipe for disaster in the Christian life is to have too high a view of self and too low a view of God. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we're talking about here is that our infi- our finitude and God's infinitude invites us to have a bound view of self, bound by time, mm-hmm. by knowledge, by space, by by physicality, by power. I mean, you name it, bound. 
And yeah. God experiences none of that boundness. Mm-hmm. God experiences none of those limitations. I could be misremembering this quote, Kyle. This is your this is your boy, not me. But I think it was Spurgeon who talked about Christians never living under circumstances because in Christ we live above circumstances. Now, of course, that's kind of a preacher mode right there. Like <laughs> you're like, yeah, but you know, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z. Like we mm-hmm. st- we still live under them. But when we consider the infinitude of God. It, in light of the problems we're facing, we realize God is not facing those problems, yet in his love and grace, he enters into mine with his infinitude and with his eternality, and he invites me into relationship with him. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed this discussion. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about the self-existence, self-sufficiency of God, what is sometimes referred to uh, as his aseity. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leave us a review if you like the podcast. Uh, That helps other people find out about the show. If you want to find out some other cool things that you can be a part of or you want to support the show in any way, you can go to trainingthechurch.com slash support. There's some cool stuff over there that you might find interesting. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.